Hello and welcome to the Night Sky for November. My name is Melissa Holbert and I'm the Site Programs Coordinator at Sydney Observatory. Before we start our Night Sky Tour, make sure you download the November Sky Map from our website. It can be found under the Observations blog tab. Armed with your sky map and a small torch with some red cellophane covering it, find a nice dark place away from the glare of the streetlights and make sure you know your cardinal directions. That's north, south, east and west. Remember that the sun rises in the east, moves through the northern sky during the day and sets in the west, or a small compass will also point you in the right direction. Pick a comfortable spot, either on a rug or a deck chair, that you can lay back in. Wait about 5 to 10 minutes and allow your eyes to adapt to the darkness. Look towards the north. High in the northern sky is Pegasus, the winged horse from mythology, probably with its origins in both Mesopotamian and Etruscan star law. In Greek mythology, Pegasus was said to have been born from the blood of Medusa, the Gorgon, after she was slain by Perseus. Pegasus is also associated with poetic inspiration, with the fountain that was sacred to the nine muses that was created when he stamped his hoof on Mount Helicon. Pegasus was principally the steed of Bellerophon, and in a dream, Athene appeared to Bellerophon with a golden bridle and advised him to ride Pegasus. However, some legends say that Perseus rode the winged horse when rescuing Andromeda. Pegasus is easy to find, with the best-known feature of this constellation, the aptly named Great Square of Pegasus. It is rather large, at over 15 degrees in width and 13 degrees in height, but despite its size, there are relatively few bright naked-eye stars within the square. Working out degrees in the sky is quite easy. Hold your arm out towards the sky and make a fist. From one side of your fist to the other, this is 10 degrees. Hold your other arm out and spread your hand as wide as you comfortably can, so the opposite of a fist. From your little finger to your thumb is 20 degrees. Put your hands side by side and you now have 30 degrees. This does work for everyone as your arm length is proportional to your hand size. Four stars outline the square, and in the past, all four were part of the constellation. However, Delta Pegasi is now known as Alpha Andromedae. This star was also known as Syra, meaning navel, and marked the navel of the horse. Pegasus is the right way up for us, so we see the neck and head of the horse stretching towards the west and what appears to be his back legs towards the northeast. One interesting object is M15, or NGC 7078, a magnitude 6 globular cluster, easily visible in binoculars and small telescopes. Medium to large apertures will resolve some of the outer regions of this cluster and a dense core. M15 lies about 35,000 light years away. Remember I mentioned the horse's rear legs earlier? Let's go back to those. The legs are part of the constellation Andromeda, the daughter of Queen Cassiopeia in Greek mythology. If you are away from city lights and look carefully at this area of the sky, you might see an elongated fuzzy patch of light with your unaided eye. This is the Andromeda galaxy and is the most distant object visible to the unaided eye. Lying about 2.4 million light years from us, though recent data from the Hipparchus satellite has suggested that this distance might be closer to 3 million light years. 
While a fascinating sight with just your eyes, if you have binoculars or a small telescope, then the most amazing sight awaits you. The dark dust lanes of the spiral arms, a bright core, and if you are lucky, you might pick up one or both of its companion galaxies. To the east and slightly south of Pegasus is Cetus, the fourth largest constellation in the sky. Cetus has been depicted as a variety of animals, but is generally depicted as a sea monster or dragonfish, but some refer to it merely as a great whale. Cetus is one of the most ancient constellations in the sky, as it was Ptolemy who originally assigned 22 stars to this constellation. It contains a jewel box of coloured stars for both telescope and binocular users alike. South of Cetus, you will see the brilliant star Achenar, which means the river's end, as it marks the end of the river Eridanus. Follow Eridanus towards the east, and there rising in the sky is our familiar signpost of summer skies, Orion the Hunter. In Greek mythology, Orion was a hunter of great skill and boasted that he could kill all living animals. Gaia, the earth goddess, was alarmed by his statement and fearing for all the animals on earth, she sent a scorpion to kill him. Orion was stung on the shoulder but was revived and placed in the stars along with the scorpion. This entire myth is played out in the stars each year. As Scorpius the scorpion rises in the east, Orion sets in the west defeated. When Scorpius sets in the west, the healer Ephucus crushes the scorpion into the earth and revives Orion so he can rise in the east again. Orion appears in many cultures. Even the ancient Egyptians saw Orion as Osiris, god of the underworld and of regeneration. Note that the star map is designed for 8.30pm Australian Daylight Savings Time, so Orion is just below the east horizon at this time. If you're having difficulty picking out the hunter, then look for the saucepan. This is a familiar group of stars for those of us in the Southern Hemisphere and is Orion's belt and sword. Orion is on his side as he rises above the eastern horizon. The middle point of light in the handle of the saucepan or the sword is the famous Orion Nebula or M42. It is one of late spring's most magnificent sights and will keep observers using binoculars or a telescope enthralled as you follow the swirls and loops of gas and dust in this active stellar nursery. Stars are forming out of the gas in this nebula, which stretches about 20 light years in diameter and is about 1,500 light years away. To the south of the saucepan, you should see the red supergiant star Betelgeuse, which is 500 times larger than our own star, the Sun. Or if we were to place Betelgeuse, where our sun is, at the centre of our solar system, then the edge of the star would be near Jupiter's orbit. Betelgeuse is the shoulder or armpit of Orion and is about 427 light years away. To the north of the saucepan and diagonally opposite Betelgeuse is a brilliant white star, Rigel, one of Orion's knees. Rigel is a blue-white supergiant star that shines 60,000 times brighter than our own sun. Rigel also has a small companion star, which is best seen through a telescope. Though seeing conditions are not the best, small telescopes will struggle to see the companion through the glare of Rigel. Let's return to the belt of Orion and follow its line to the west, where we come to the back of a sideways V. This V is the head of Taurus the bull and appears to be charging at Orion. 
Like Cetus, Taurus is one of the most ancient constellations in our sky and is also steeped in Greek mythology. It is said to represent the bull Zeus changed into to carry Princess Europa off to Crete. Back to the V, which is part of a large open star cluster visible in binoculars called the Hyades. One of Taurus's eyes is an orange giant star called Eldebaran, which means the follower. It follows the Pleiades, a wonderful open star cluster that can be seen with your eyes to the northwest of the V. The Pleiades are known as the Seven Sisters, as seven stars are readily seen with your eyes. But away from city lights, up to 13 can be seen with the unaided eye. The whole cluster contains about 100 stars, and binoculars are the best way to view this marvellous object. Another of Messier's objects, M1, is also in Taurus. M1 is best seen in telescopes and is known as the Crab Nebula, but is in fact the remnant of a star that exploded as a supernova on July 4, 1054 AD. How can we be so precise with this date? Chinese astronomers kept very accurate records of the night sky and recorded the position of a new star on their star maps on this date, the exact position in which we now find the Crab Nebula. Although the Crab Nebula is 7,000 light years away, the supernova was brighter than the planet Venus for weeks before it faded from view after almost two years. Even today, the nebula is still expanding at a rate of more than 5 million kilometres per hour. It emits radiation in all wavelengths, from gamma rays to X-rays, UV, optical and infrared radiation and radio waves. It is exceptionally bright for a supernova remnant due to its central pulsar, which energises it. Careful studies of the Crab Nebula revealed a pulsar near the centre, which emitted at a rate of 30 pulses per second. Additional observations have shown that the pulse rate is slowing down, and over the next thousand years, the pulse rate will fall to half its present value. Time to turn and look towards the south. Can you see our familiar signpost of the Southern Cross and pointers? Look low close to the south horizon, and there they are. In late spring, these constellations are low in our evening skies, but by early morning they are rising again to the positions we are familiar with. However, in their place are two cloud-like objects, a large one and a small one. You will need to be away from city lights to see them. These are the Magellanic Clouds, named after the explorer Ferdinand Magellan. They are the two satellite galaxies of our own Milky Way. The larger of the two is in the constellation Dorado the goldfish. In 1987, the large Magellanic cloud was the site of the first supernova, visible to the unaided eye since 1604, which was observed by the astronomer Johannes Kepler. This supernova was named Supernova, or SN1987A. The small Magellanic cloud is in the constellation Tucana the Toucan. Sitting beside the cloud is 47 Tuck, or NGC 104, a fine globular cluster, second only to Omega Centauri. It is a fuzzy object, which at about fourth magnitude can be easily seen with the unaided eye away from city lights. In ancient times, it was thought to be a star and given a stellar designation. 47 Tuck has the same apparent size as the moon and has a tightly packed core. Telescopes with apertures of 100 millimetres or greater are required to even begin to resolve this globular. It is 16,000 light years away, making it one of the closest globulars to Earth. 
As I've mentioned, some of the constellations are just below the east horizon. Look for the December 2018 star map on our website, which will show these constellations higher or the equivalent of later in the November evening. So what else can we look forward to seeing in the sky in November 2019? Jupiter is in the western sky after sunset and starts the month in the constellation of Ephucus before moving into Sagittarius mid-month. Binoculars will show the four largest moons known as the Galilean satellites and small aperture telescopes will show one or two of the Jovian cloud belts. Jupiter has a double encounter this month with Venus on the 23rd and 24th. The constellation of Sagittarius is in the western sky after sunset, and this is where we find the wonderful ringed planet Saturn. Saturn's impressive ring system can be seen in even small aperture telescopes, and depending on the telescope you are using, you may even catch a glimpse of a few of Saturn's moons, including the second largest in our solar system, Titan. Early in November is the best time for viewing, as by the end of the month, Saturn is very low in the west after sunset. On the 2nd, the waxing crescent moon is very close to Saturn, and for those in New Zealand, you will see the moon occult Saturn. On the 30th, the waxing crescent moon is above and slightly to the west or right of the ringed planet. Shining brightly in the western twilight sky is Venus. Venus spends the first day of the month in Libra before moving into Scorpius and then joins Jupiter in Ephucus before moving into Sagittarius in the last week of the month. During its multi-constellation tour, Venus passes close to two globular clusters, M80 in Scorpius on the 7th and M28 in Sagittarius on the 30th. As mentioned earlier, Venus joins Jupiter in the sky for a dazzling display on the 23rd and 24th. Definitely worth a look if the skies are clear. Early birds will see the red planet Mars, close to the horizon in the early dawn sky from the second week of November. The red planet will slowly start to move higher in the sky as the month progresses. On the 24th, a thin waning crescent moon will be to the east or left of the red planet, and on the 25th, the moon is directly below Mars, and they are joined by Mercury, which will be to the south or right of the thin waning crescent. I have no wild cards for you this month as the moon phase is not favourable for observing any of the noted meteor showers, nor are there any bright comets or other astronomical phenomena visible. Let us know if you observe any of the wonderful planetary and lunar events this month via our blog, Facebook page and Twitter account. I leave you now with this quote from the poem The Old Astronomer to His Pupil by Sarah Williams. Though my soul may set in darkness, it will rise in perfect light. I have loved the stars too fondly to be fearful of the night. Wishing you clear skies and see you next month under the stars. If you have enjoyed this monthly sky guide and think you might want to regularly check out what's in the night sky, why not purchase a copy of Sydney Observatory's book, The Australasian Sky Guide? It not only contains detailed monthly sky guides, but is packed with astronomical information, including rise and set times for the sun, moon, planets and tides, and a detailed look at our solar system and upcoming astronomical events. Only $17 from Sydney Observatory and Museum of Applied Arts and Sciences shops, or you can purchase it online. Additional costs apply. For more information on the night sky, check out our blogs on Sydney Observatory's website. There is also information about our Facebook and Twitter accounts. 
This has been Melissa Holbert from Sydney Observatory with the November Monthly Sky Guide.